Good morning, good evening, good whatever time it is where you are. It's 2pm in Boston. It's 8pm in Oslo. And that means it's episode 6 of the Everything Hurts Podcasts. I am the uglier of your hosts, Dr. James Heathers, and the sensible socialist with the mostest is... Me, Dr. Dan Quintana. Yeah, you're not really going with the wrestling vibe. <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's smiling at me, waiting for me to return to normal. As usual, happy Dan, how are you? I'm doing very well. Um, what about you, James? I believe it's your, it's your birthday today. I have become an old man. Uh, yeah. I'm 34 years old. Still as sensible as I ever was. Um, this is the last year I get to fill out a demographic survey form in the category of 25 to 34. There you go. You'll be crossing over next year. Yes. I'm also a dual rather than a triple multiple of a prime number. <laughs> what? No, we, we had to work that out last night. That was extremely important for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I believe it. And when I left 32, I was very sad because I was never going to be a fifth power ever again. <laughs> or at least not without some radical medical advances. When, so, when's, the nec- when's the next one? Well, three to the power of five. When's three to the power of five? It's a big number. Come on, three to the power of five. Go, what is it? It's a big number. 729. Yeah. Too slow. There you go. Too slow, yeah. Dan. That's not going to happen. Well, there are people that are freezing themselves in the hope that they can um, be resurrected in the future. So maybe I got it take... wrong. Dan, I got it wrong. What was it? I just thought about it. That's three to the power of six. It's 243, Dan. Okay, well, I'm I don't embarrassing know. embarrassing myself. There's going to be someone. by extension. <laughs> there'll, there'll be someone that'll reach out soon enough. One of those biohackers. Maybe mm, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, uh, when when it comes to when it comes to research like that, um, the the DIY genetic stuff that I've seen in the last couple of months. DIY the genetics. Doing, the people who are doing CRISPR in their kitchens, <laughs> which is just amazing. I absolutely love the fact that that's possible. Um, my out. knowledge gap is sufficient that I'm I'm not thinking of starting something like that as I don't have the time invested in knowing what's happening. But you can get a home kit now to to splice a fluorescent protein into a yeast or something like that, and you can do a little bit of your own sort of uh, tabletop genetics, which is that's incredible. It's supreme. So my um my retirement plan of breeding giant, dangerous domestic cats is now looking infinitely more possible. No, it's a main coon with a Norwegian forest cat, and they they got uh, something too hairy, and it doesn't have the body mass. I thought about this. Probably more than I should. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, what, what 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 breeds are we talking here then? <laughs> <laughs> we were going to talk about something sensible, and now you want to know my plans to breed giant cats. <laughs> research. We've got to talk about research, and not cat-related research. We have to talk about other, more serious, actual existing research shall we do that let's do it oh it's a good idea now you came up with this topic you said why don't we do this and my immediate response was not get into the sea dan which is what i say when you talk a lot of the time even when you have good ideas because i don't you come you come around eventually usually um that is true um you're good at convincing me and i think that you represent yourself better under some form of pressure. So I've no one to tell you that your ideas are the worst thing since Stalin. Um, and you have a tendency to back them up better. And then a lot of the time we do them. So, you know, that's fine. Yeah. But what's what was your idea this time? Look, I was thinking we talk about the, uh, the research pipeline is in how do we get stuff from idea to, to publication. These things take so long. I mean, I was even thinking about a paper that we've been working on uh, we collected this data, I think we started collecting it almost uh, four, maybe five years ago. Mm. And only now are we at the stage where we are doing um, a second revision and it probably won't see the light of day 
till uh, for for another month or so. So that that's almost five years in total. Um, but it just made me think about the the research pipeline and how we actually get um, things from from A to B. So I thought it'd be good to talk about different strategies. I think we we, we probably have different um, you know different ways of doing it, but we both we both get the output. So I thought um, it'd be a good way to actually figure out. How do you actually get stuff from? How, how do you come up with these ideas? What's worth researching? You can you know, everything. You can research anything if you want to. Um, you know, splicing cats together, for instance. But you have mm. to think about what is actually worthwhile doing. How do you start doing it? And then how do you get that to an actual published paper? Good topic. Really good topic. Um, when we started this and. I wanted to talk about how science was done and what it is, rather than simply discussing results that came out. Oh, there's been a paper published, and it turns out if you pick on an old person and you poke them with a fork in a corridor, it makes people sad on a scale of one to seven. Recapping that stuff every week, I'd rather extend a mechanical pencil under my fingernails every minute on the minute until the end of time than talk about other people's crappy research. But how we do research, this is exactly what I had in mind when we started. So I was very happy when you said, let's do that. And yeah, we do have different perspectives on it. And now that we're not young men anymore, now that we're in our mid-30s and we're gradually circling the drain as a couple of miserable old coots, um, our perspectives have probably had the time to change over time. Yeah, I, I think, you know, mo- most people would have a similar sort of way of actually finding out about research. I mean, we, we've touched on this previously, how you, you set up your keyword alerts, your, your RSS. People keep saying RSS is dead. I don't believe it. I think it's fantastic for, for journals and for certain blogs as well. Mm, um, agreed. Have your yeah PubMed alerts, Google Scholar alerts, and then that's when you can actually have your finger on the pulse on what is actually happening. Um, but then I think, you know, people from there things kind of split and 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 quite often you know you'll get people coming up you know how do you actually come up with your ideas but i think if you have a really solid idea of a research area the ideas almost present themselves in a way yeah that is something that i definitely experience um i would as far as so you're sitting around and you need to do a science and send it to a place um what's the original impetus for that traditionally i've had two because I'd make a split between something that needs to be experimentally uh, addressed or something that is data or analysis based. So the obviously the big difference is if you're going to do an experiment, you need to go out and get the infrastructure to do the experiment, whatever that might entail. But for something that is data or analysis based, you only need to have access to an appropriate body of data. And a lot of the time, you don't even really bother pursuing the idea if that data exists. So, if I had some idea about uh, a processing method that I wanted to try, or any, any, anything similar to that, really, um, a, a new algorithm or uh, a reanalysis of something that already existed, the first step is finding and structuring the data set. And that is way, way down the experimental pathway from someone who's starting from scratch going, hang on a second, um, I'm doing something in the, the social sciences here, I suppose, for, for historically, I suppose we both have. Yeah. Maybe, maybe less so now. But the first thing you need to do in the social sciences is go and get a bunch of people. Um, and what precedes that, of course, is going to get the approval to do things to a whole bunch of people. Now yeah. that means that means ethical approval, and I have uh, I have a very strong opinion on ethical approval. And here's it's changed 180 degrees since I started doing research, because people when I was a, a, a younger starting as a master's student, people would say, "Oh, ethics committees are such pains in the ass, and it all takes forever, and it's really it's a terrible it's a it's a terrible thing," and they would complain about it incessantly. Um, and that's almost entirely unjustified. And it's because an awful lot of people who go through the process of getting something ethically approved do not engage at all with the ethical environment that they're working in with the ethics committee. They don't ring the people up 
and ask them questions about what could go wrong. They're supposed to be protecting you. They're yeah. not just making sure the university's getting its stuff the right way around, you know, uh, covering their ass. It's something that's there for the collective protection of everyone. And if they're being precious, they're being precious in ways that are really easy to A, predict, and B, manage. So if you get into the process a little bit and you know when all the dates are, I think ethics committees are, you know, the the people who are either paid very little or doing it for nothing, uh, giving you the legal scope to be able to do a study in the first place. Um, once I started being a little bit more open, talking to people who were on the committees, trying to find out how they work, um, making sure my own research was done right, uh, that and when we were uh, both at Sydney, uh, they, they massively revamped <laughs> the ethics system and they made a 21st century run rather than a 19th century yeah. Um So that's the first step. How are, you, how are you with ethical approval stuff in general? You ever had any problems? Yeah, no, I think it's good because, um, and they've improved recently because they make you think about stuff like, do you have the appropriate sample size? Because if you're putting, you know, no matter what you do, um, giving them a questionnaire, some sort of, uh, from that all the way to some sort of treatment intervention, um, people are, there are risks involved. And if there's going to be risks involved, you have to actually make sure that you are testing enough people or including enough people that you're likely to find find an effect. And a lot of these committees now are actually asking you to do uh, power analysis. Do you have enough people to, you know, mm. f- find this effect? And that's that's fantastic because prior to that, a lot of people didn't think. They kind of, you know, uh, just take a guess. Well, you know, there's, there's almost these rule of thumb conventions with different areas of research. Oh, we, 20 people. Yeah, 20 people sounds about right. Mm. Um, but maybe for, for what you're doing, that's not appropriate. So I, I like committees in that sense. And um, you know, I've I've had pretty good experiences. Um, more often than and not, that's and you've been you've uh, let's uh, a lot of the stuff that I've done is relatively straightforward autonomic testing or showing people a thing or making them do something relatively similar. Yeah. Um, you've had relatively straightforward experiences filling people full of drugs. Yeah, but and poking is, them with spoons. Yeah, so that's spoons. not a metaphor. Actual spoons. Uh, we've done uh, we've done some um, some shock experiments, um, but I mean, I you know compared oh, to that, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but the, the thing is, you know, especially with some of the recent work we've been doing in oxytocin, um, you know, we, we've made sure that uh, everything's above board. That we always have. Uh, there's always a doctor around. Um, you know, we we anticipate not in the room, but sort of in the building. In the in the building, yeah. Right. Um, but but we always have a doctor who's actually assessing them for eligibility um, in the first place. Um, full twelve lead ECG to make sure there's not um, you know any any long QTC intervals, for instance. Um, we do mm. the whole thing, full full blood panels, full everything, um, just to make sure that um, there's no potential risks um, with any of these participants. Um, um, you know, and especially when working with psychiatric patients, doing a full IQ test to make sure that they actually have the capacity to actually give consent as well, um, which is um, which is especially important when you're dealing with some some of these um, clinical populations. But still, you know, we've um, I, I think it's a good thing we we make sure that um, you know the the participants are safe uh, first first and foremost, and um, you know, considering what they're doing, like you said, they're working for free. Um, I haven't heard of anyone being paid, but uh, maybe, maybe the, the the chairman. I think they are sometimes. Or um, they're not paid very much. No, not at um, all. And you get an awful lot of reading um, with sort of a it's one of the, one of those things where you you have to go through and try and predict problems. So you probably have to do a great deal of reading to identify relatively low probability, high outcome risks. Yeah, and so I think it, I always I always figured it was a job I'd never do because I don't have the patience for that kind of thing. And you, you, they'd you know they'd find me in a bell tower with a rifle <laughs> if I had a job like that. It wouldn't be amazing. Um, <laughs> 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 you think don't think about nodding unless you're going to nod. You know that's what had happened. Um, well, look, we can't spend our entire time talking about ethics committees. Um, and I guess we skipped a step because we're talking about you know, where do you get the idea to do something in the first place? Now, it, if, you're, if you're doing a PhD project um, and it, it proceeds naturally from projects that you're already doing and you have the confidence to pose your own questions, that's one thing. Mm. Um, but everything else that proceeds from the fact that you can justify from some application most of the time 
uh, the fact that you got money to ask the question in the first place. So it's gone into a competitive environment and you've asked some grant giving body for money and they've provided the money and now the money is funding the work that you're doing. So, so you can actually get more pilot data to, to do your next bit of research. Yeah, don't don't make it sound like it's just it's, it's this horrible treadmill. We all know it's a horrible treadmill. We're not here to bemoan all the terrible things. You wanted to talk about how it works, not what's wrong with it. So let's do that. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. And then it's not you, like then... you to be negative. Don't give me a <laughs> negative face. All right, so we've got an idea from somewhere. Yeah. It's been funded or it hasn't or it's something we've come up with ourselves. Um, we ask a local committee for the permission to do this research. Um, the local committee is full of generous, helpful people who provide us with uh, a protocol which gets approved to do it, and then we do the damn thing. Yeah. What are your favorite tips and tricks on running an experiment? Planning. Have a protocol ready. Um, for the first time, I've actually just published a, um, a protocol for a um, for analysis that we're doing. And I, I think saw I, that. It yeah. was boring. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think this is a really interesting question. Uh, we, we, we won't get into it now, but it's it's made me think more and more of um, you know putting more of my uh, more of my experiments, more of my trials. It's it's one thing to actually pre-register what you're doing, but it's another thing to actually put your protocol out there so people can see what you're going to be doing. Um, when I do consulting stuff, um, and when people email me and ask for advice, which they do all the time. The thing that they always ask about is this. Yeah. How do we control ancillary factors in our experiment? And then the same sorts of questions when it comes to analysis of what's actually meaningful. Um, the actual, the, 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 the sort of, uh, the intangibles that people have a tendency not to write down when you run an experiment that you generally learn from a laboratory protocol by being a laboratory. Yeah. Yeah, and the problem is when you don't have one or you're trying to get one set up or you're working by yourself in the middle of nowhere, no one's giving people like that advice. So they get to this stage and they go, all right, I want to do some stuff and they've got absolutely no guidance on what they physically need to do to actually run the experiment. Um I'm minor. Uh, I'm not a neat person. Um, I'm not a particularly polite person. Uh, sometimes I'm not very nice. Uh, but when I run an experiment, it is so. I take such good care of the people who have the the time to actually do my experiment because I'm absurdly grateful that anyone would put themselves in that position i ran a four hour experiment at the end of my phd and i wanted like literally my goal was like we get all this stuff done and there was a schedule on the wall of what had to happen when i was like i want these people to be my best friends i'm investing a lot of personal time in every single one of these people so they're going to comply with what i want to do so they're going to learn about what's happening in the experiment and I saw like, other people running experiments. Oh, are you here for 12.30? Come in, dude. Sit down. Fill out all that shit, eh? <laughs> if you run an experiment like that, I think it's disrespectful to the people who are... Even if you're paying them. Yeah. You're paying them for something that is a partly didactic exercise. They are supposed to learn via instruction while a thing's actually happening. A lot of the time, it's people who are interested in your topic area. So I think you have a, a a kind of an implied duty to make sure that everything works really, really well uh, and that it runs straightforwardly. And I think you have to be nice to them. You actually oh. have to engage with them as people. And if you don't do that, you will run bad experiments if you have to do experiments with people. Obviously, if you have rats, you don't need to find out which corner of the cage they favor, etc., but with people, you damn well do. It's, it's yeah, super I, important. I couldn't agree with you more. And especially when you're doing repeated measures designs where you're getting people to come back. If, you're not, if they're not satisfied, if you're not having a happy participant, um, they're less likely to come back. Um, one of our prior experiments, we had five visits. Our last mm. experiment with patients, we had four visits people traveling from long distances to be part of this research the compensation was you know like most research just a, a tiny bit 
Um, so it definitely didn't compensate the time or, or the transport. And we, we bent over backwards. We had a, we had a waiting room set up. Um, most people came with their parents, coffee, um, coffee, you know, biscuits, made sure everything was fine. Um, yep. And the great thing was um, we didn't have a single dropout. So we had, yep. 18, we had 18 participants. Every single person came back for four visits i had I was, a five i had a five visit experiment if you remember when we were looking at the um uh the, this the, the water the one basic stuff with the osmopressor effect yeah yeah I, that was a five visit experiment there was a a, a starting thing and then they put every participant these are 18 year old kids who are not known for their personal reliability and time management skills they all came back for every single session that's how, how many uh, I think only twelve. But that's still that pretty is, impressive. It is forty-eight. That is forty-eight recording sessions with equipment and calculations and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's also twelve initial visits where they find out how long it's going to take. <laughs> um, and that was that was unpaid. That that's so, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So you've got were, were these were these these are uh, some uh, undergrads. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were first year undergraduates. They were first semester first year undergraduates. So they just started at university. Yeah, they're all uh, you know or when they actually had some enthusiasm before they're uh, <laughs> yeah before discouraged they, before, <laughs> before they found out that psychology is a lie of what? non replicability and disappointment. <laughs> you got You got And you they do what we both did, which is which is run a long way away from it into some kind of adjunct field, <laughs> and where you, you you deny it like a bad childhood. Yeah. Um, yeah, but at the same time, uh, yeah, Keen perhaps yes but uh good at time management and hangover free not always yeah so yeah you have to you have to sell that stuff and uh, if you've never done it before pilot oh have you ever run especially when it comes to uh pain attention punishment I have never run an experiment on anyone that I haven't run on myself at a 50% more unpleasant kind of protocol you know <laughs> if we're putting if we're using two millivolts on your nerve at some point in time we will have used six on mine i do remember piloting that <laughs> oh that was fun we couldn't um we couldn't did we end up using ring electrodes or did you use no um, we used a bar electrode yeah but that we between, put on the, uh, i think between two between, fingers between um yeah between fingers yeah, that is because um, of the nerves. It's it's more painful, right? Yeah, and we didn't yeah. need to. Um, use unpleasant. As much remember, shot. it was unpleasant, James. It wasn't painful. Uh, no, no, when yeah. we did it, we didn't give everyone like uh, the, like the, the the proper um, the proper protocol with ten millivolts. I think no. we tried that on John. Yeah, yeah, but he. Oh, he, he uh, t- how do we talk him into that? That was oh, that, it's your experiment, so we need to see what happens when we turn it up to eleven. <laughs> that was but probably it, you. Yeah, it might have been, but uh, he he was cool with it. Um, He's a very yeah. patient man. He has to he has to deal. Imagine dealing with both of us for years. I know, and he's still doing it. I mean, oh dear, without any money, is no, no wonder he's going to make a, a lot of money at that therapy business because yeah. uh, he's obviously got some very favorable personality characteristics <laughs> when it comes to dealing with the difficult. Ah, all right. So you know, quick break. Yeah, let's take a quick break and um, then we'll, we'll come back and talk about more about the research pipeline. Welcome back to Everything Hurts. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we've been talking about the research pipeline. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, you can uh, look at it look us up on facebook at uh, everything hurts podcast uh, you can also send us an email at uh, everything hurts podcast at gmail.com and you can find us on twitter at uh why are you laughing james have i said something wrong <laughs> you said if you want to find us you can look up yeah <laughs> like, I, I, we're, <laughs> like we're omnipotent look at the ceiling you can just look up and we'll, we'll be there dan's huge hammerhead staring from the ceiling <laughs> smiling benignly as the socialist gods bestow funding on it. So that's where you can find us. Just look up. <laughs> you didn't say Hertz Podcast. Hertz we'll Podcast be... is on Twitter. Dan does Twitter. I hate Twitter. 
Yeah, and Twitter's and, not and, a real website. What <laughs> Stuart Lee called it? The, uh, Who? The, the Stasi for the Angry Birds generation. Uh, I like that. There are a lot of angry people on Twitter. I'll, I'll well, pay that. Yeah, yeah I'm just, not sure just, that was the point, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, 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 go there and, and bother him. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. But there's that. a lot. There's there's a, there's a lot of ways, and um, yeah, if you could rate us on iTunes, um, you know. It'll give us. Uh, it'll help other people actually find our podcasts, and also. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that's 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 the big one. I I hear people talking about this. Like if you if if things are rated on the iTunes, then um it it, it means we're algorithmically favorable when it comes to other people discovering our disgusting drivel. <laughs> well, we've gotten off to a good start. We were actually featured as part of the uh, new and noteworthy podcast within the science and medicine category, um, but a few ratings can actually keep us up there and um, help more people find the podcast. But yeah, tell your friends, um, share it on Facebook uh, and uh, and share it on Twitter and uh, give us feedback and let us know what you want tell us to talk about. Tell your ugliest friend <laughs> and then don't tell them why you told them. You'll just confuse them. And then tell one other friend for no reason and let them fight it out amongst themselves. Do you think that'll work? I think that'll work great. I think that'll work good. So, research pipeline. Um, I'm resisting the temptation to clap and rub my hands in front of the microphone. Um, (laughs) Say we've done an experiment and now we have to do... uh, data management analysis stuff. Let's talk about software and platforms and stuff. Hmm. Um... Things that are recorded now, uh, obviously, we have some form when we record things from people, which we both do to one extent or another. There is an analog to digital interface, and then we take a series of bits of digital information, and we turn those into some kind of measurement. Mm. So, what should we say about the software for doing that? Do you want I to mean, talk about statistical stuff, or do you want to talk about actual data handling things? We can we can cover both. I think um, statistics. I mean, a, a lot of the a lot of these packages do uh, basically the same thing. What um, do you op- use? What do you use for statistics? Let's let's put let's put the specific stuff to one side, so we don't. And I'll go. I really like brain analyzer. Uh, is boring to people who aren't us, and also to us. So let's not do that. <laughs> um, do you use JASP? I want to talk about JASP. J-A-S-P. Yes. Okay, yeah, what's huge, JASP? Tell the nice people. JASP is uh, it's a point-and-click environment, um, and uh, it's basically it's been out for about six months, I think. And it is, in one way, it's been uh, marketed as uh, free SPSS with Bayesian options as well. With um, Bayesian flavor. With Bayesian flavor, so it's free. I believe it's on all platforms, um, and uh, it's a fantastic way of you just use a CSF file, import that in. Um, the a what? Dot CSF. CS, yeah, CSV. That's yeah. thank you for correcting yeah, that. Right. Yeah. A dot. <laughs> c- <laughs> a cerebrospinal fluid file. You can you can tell where my mind is. It will leak out of your processor. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, do a do a puncture of the processor. So you import the .csv file, and then you can do the analysis there. And the thing that I really like is that side by side, you can do both the frequentist analysis, and you can also do the Bayesian analysis. So you, it's got all your basic functions, um, uh, ANOVAs, paired t-tests, um, yep. correlations, repeated measures. Um, yeah, all, all the basic stuff you want to do. But the cool thing is, I think about is, sort of uh, if you've got relatively simple scientific statistics, and most things are relatively simple. It has about ninety percent of the average functionality of what you'd need. Yeah, and and, uh, the, um, and that goes for not just the social sciences, but for the life sciences as well. Yeah. Um, until you get to the things like concentration curves, I suppose, and um, uh, you're messing around with the information criterion or something, and then if you're doing that stuff, you don't need us to tell you how to do your damn analysis. But for everything that's relatively simple, uh, JASP is amazing. But that's not why I like it because I mean, you can calculate a t-test on the back of an envelope. It's not difficult. I've done it in every possible conceivable way because of whatever's closest at the time. You know, I've got MATLAB data. I do it in MATLAB. Big deal. Can you do it in R? Can you do it in Python? It's all very straightforward. The thing I like about JASP 
is you do your basic statistics and it gives you a typeset formatted output yeah. that you can copy from the program with its formatting and all the stuff that waste your time when you're writing up a manuscript. You can copy that straight out of the program and paste it straight into a document. And super, it super handy. That's and easily the best thing about it. And the great thing is the figures actually look pretty good. Yeah, not still won't use it for figures. Graphpad is still better. Uh, yeah, no, I, I do agree. Um, but it is better than the figures you get from SPSS, which are horrible. They um, look like hammered dog shit. Um, SPSS so is terrible for graphing. Um, and if you, for some reason, we've all decided that um, uh, you can do a good graph in Excel, believe it or not, but you have to change every single parameter of the graph until it looks like it's successfully communicating information because the basic sort of knock it together options that you get make really pokey rubbish bullshit graphs yeah so you, so you mentioned um so you have graphpad um which is graphpad uh, prism yes but it's it's quite expensive um is for, it for, yeah it's a few <laughs> it's a few hundred us from from what i understand all they have like a subscription model where you pay like 90 a year um so yeah i think the university bought me graphpad yeah i mean but a lot of people don't actually have the luxury of doing that um oh, so i, I, I know I, that yeah but i, I, I don't remember uh, where it was from i might have stolen it i th- no, given, we, we, we had copies away we what? had copies from uh from sydney uni we did have those copies but I on remember that, getting it from a, a central library. Some anyway, that doesn't matter. Um, yeah, if it's expand, I don't know what people. There are some other things that you can use, but um, I've seen a few people have this discussion on the internet. If you Google free scientific graphing platform or program, yeah, um, there are other things. They don't come immediately to mind because I don't have to use them. Cause well, there is R. Yeah, R is pretty no. good. I would so I think even if you were just doing figures and graphing it is worth using R just for that for the amount of flexibility that you get um, the thing with with um, uh, with graphpad is that um, you know sorry let me let me rephrase that at least with R you can actually save the script of what you're doing for the actual analysis and you can replicate that for, for different types of papers um, I think and just the flexibility that you have is, uh, is is enormous when it comes to that. So um, even if you're not even doing statistical analysis within R, using um, uh, packages such as ggplot2, for instance, um, it's uh, you can get some really... Like all, all the figures that I've been doing recently has, uh, has been in R. Well, you made handy. some bad design decisions because you occasionally have a completely tin ear for this kind of stuff. Those bean, scabby-looking bean plots that the you insist plots. on putting in things... They look like dead slugs. I don't want dead slug plots on my They're papers. violin plots. Uh, 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 violin uh, plots. It's a yeah. dead slug plot. No, nah, it's... Um, it's the, I, I, st- I stick by violin, violin plots. Oh, right. Well, we're going to have to have an aesthetic difference yeah. on that one. Look, you are, you are correct in the fact that AR does have excellent graphing functionality with plugins. Yeah. Uh, B, it's free. And C, it's probably worth using just on the basis of you don't need to learn any of the programming stuff if that's the kind of thing that scares you um, you can just grab it and uh, use it to make your figures Uh, and if I'm ever reviewing a paper and you give me a paper that is in Excel default graphs I will judge you Oh, I totally agree. Because no SPSS, they, they no, look. We worse. have to have. I don't. I think it's just a simple matter of having some basic pride. Oh yeah, <laughs> the, and basic basic SPSS graphs are, are worse than terrible. Um, but I my opinions on SPSS are widely known. I use it sometimes because I have to. People will send you an SPSS file. But, um, but you, you do your analysis in MATLAB. Your actual statistical analysis in MATLAB. Yeah, sometimes a lot or, of the stuff I have to do is not particularly complicated. Yeah. So I, I'm finding that um, now that I'm doing more Bayesian analysis on, on top of frequentist stuff, I'm doing that either in JASP or I do it in R directly, um, more so that I can actually share. Man. <laughs> no, I like the, 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 the one possible downside to JASP is that um, you can't actually save the scripts. Not that I know of, I could be wrong. But at least within R, I'm able to actually share and save it. And someone once said something that um, it's not about 
you know, it's one thing to actually share the script so other people can replicate it. But the more important thing is that you can actually replicate the analysis two, two years later when someone goes, oh, you know, I've got yeah. a question about your analysis. Then you can go back and go, cool, let me rerun that. And the fact that you can actually pull up your R script and do, press, it, from, and do it from scratch do rather it from than just scratch. say, here is the output of a thing I ran oh. that had, it had 20 settings. I don't remember what any of them are. Yeah. Um, okay. That's enough about analysis. Um, we agree more or less straightforwardly. Now, here's something you could help me with because I go round and round the farm with this endlessly. Do you use a research manager? Yes. What do you use? I use papers. 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 And what about a citation manager? Uh, I use papers as well for a citation manager. Except I get, I get EndNote notes out of documents that you send me. Do you use EndNote at all? I use EndNote when I'm sharing and collaborating with people that I know use EndNote as well. I have never successfully managed to get and consistently use a paper or a research manager or a citation manager. Yeah, it, it's it it's a big problem. Those, they're fiddly. They're annoying. I tried using Zotero for a while. I tried using ReadCube. Um, if people from either of those organizations are out there, up yours. I hate your software. I hate I, your plugin. I think um, Zotero has lifted its game recently, though, from what, really? from what I hear. That okay. and, um, All right, and I Mend- take it back. I, Mend- I, I, provisionally, I provisionally <laughs> hate your ridiculous software and or plugin. Um, none of them, Recube especially, I was, I was, when they came out, I thought this would be a great idea. I got very excited about it. Um, I got even on the phone at one point with the support people. No one could do a damn thing. It just, uh, it hung, it crashed, it shit nah. itself with power and pride. Um, and I'm back to huge piles of PDFs where... I end up saving the links uh, using my actual website PubMed manager thing and then making minor cosmetic changes when I stick them in the paper. And it's just, you know, you know what my level of patience for fussing around with this shit is. It's all I can do sometimes to suffer through the the indignity of having to write down something that I'm thinking. It's so boring. <laughs> the idea of carefully curating 60 to 80 things that I read at some point in time nah, is pa- papers. You have horrifying. To do it. Now, papers is a Mac-only program, no. but they changed it. Yeah, there is a it Windows. Was, it was a Mac-only program. It was, it was originally developed there. So when it comes to um, actually storing... Um, uh, storing all your papers um, you can make playlists as if it's kind of like iTunes or Spotify or what have you well um, that's cute but maybe not necessary no but but what you can do is these smart playlists or smart folders where I can actually make a folder I can make a, the headers folder for instance so whenever I import new, new papers they automatically go on that so I can keep track of certain researchers there um, you can import uh, metadata so all you have to do is drag in the paper um, 9 times out of 10 it detects the DOI and then from there, from detecting the DOI, it can actually pull in all the metadata. Um, so you, you don't have to type in, um, you know, the, the author or, or, or the journal or what have you. And then from, yeah, and then from there, you can actually um, generate um, your in-text citations, do all your bibliographies, um, and even just simple things like highlighting the, the papers, writing notes in the papers. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's fantastic. I'm a huge all right, fan. So I need, uh, papers is not free, but it's also no. not expensive. I believe it's 40 US, 30 US, something around that ballpark. And there's student discounts as well. But you're not a student anymore. Yes, I am. If anyone from the papers corporation. <laughs> yeah, so it's... Um, and if you have an iPad um, as well, you can actually sync up your library between your Mac library and your papers library. So that's what I do. Uh, um, I do have an iPad. Another, another research freebie um that i use for work and i do actually use it mainly for reading okay you've convinced me check it out like i took a lot of convincing i think (laughs) i think i'm gonna have to buy it yeah super super useful um uh just purely for the organizations i I got papers in there i I actually got it um way back in uh, my honors year so I've been using it for, for, for quite a while now. So, so my you library... Must, you must have a pretty substantial library built up. It's pretty enormous. But the good thing is the, um, the actual app itself is still rock solid, even though I've got like an enormous library. So it's, um, yeah, good huge, indexing. huge fan. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, these are, these are the platforms we use. 
to stick a thing together. Um, what about um, what about collaboration when it comes to actually, you know, it's not often that we, or you, you, do, you do a few solo papers. I've, I've done one or two. Um, but m- most of the time you actually work with uh, with other people. Well, it's insufferable, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, for you, what's, uh, what's worked well when it comes to, to collaboration? Um, I've done one paper now on a platform, platform called Authoria. Auth- I've heard of this. Authoria. It's spelled A-U-T-H-O-R-E-A. I don't know how you pronounce it. It's still quite primitive. Um, it works like a Google document, except it has uh, it has support for citation management stuff, and you can do the whole thing on the internet and typeset it. Um, it's probably better for shorter, less complicated papers because things like this invariably don't have full functionality. Um, if they made it better, I would probably use it all the time. But the vast majority of the time when you're writing a paper, the reason that people write it in a Word document and then hand it around like it's a social disease is because there's one or two people doing the vast majority of the work. Papers are written by first authors, and if there's six other authors, a lot of the time it's some silly old bastard checking over it in the middle of the night going, oh, well, I hope it's all right, and my name's on it now. So, you know, a lot of people are not making edits, even. They're just reviewing stuff as it stands. Some people Mm. do rewrites, but I'd say the majority of authors on any given paper are passive when it comes to the writing process. Sure. So, the majority of the time where I've had to communicate a paper between people, it's been a Word document. Um, And it has to be a Word document, unfortunately, because um, I would use a Google document, but it's going to chew out your ability to put references in it properly. Something like EndNote will embed in a web document. Mm. It has its own little plug-in thing for doing that. Um, does papers do that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's generally that's generally handled in the low-tech solution, and then of course the papers palmed off to whoever's least senior or youngest to go through and make sure the margins are in the right format for whatever gargle of twats are the people who expect you to send the paper and you know, they, they send it back to you because it's incorrectly copy edited or something before they ask you for a ton of money to copy edit it themselves. Not at all bitter about the publication environment. <laughs> um, yeah. What yeah, it, never mind that. That's not an interesting question. What happens next? You've got to send it somewhere. Yeah. Ah, this is the part I really hate. You know I'd like to take everything that I write and send it to one open access journal who'd review it and get it out of my hair so I don't have to deal with stuff. But, yeah, the rest of the world still runs on this weird, mutually agreed sense that there are good and bad places for the same information. Yeah. Aim high, then find yourself yeah, falling down the... Yeah, but that's the, the other thing. The... Is, is, look, here's the situation that I'm in now. I'm just about to start work at a new place, and we're already looking for things that we can apply for. In the absence of having... I don't even have a contract yet, and we're already looking at grant dates and stuff. This is normal. Now, to be able to do some of those, I may have to publish stuff in the meantime before the dates actually come in. Now... If I'm supposed to do that, should I send it to Fancy Journal Malone, who figure that artificial scarcity is the best way to maintain their ridiculous business model and are 75% likely to send it immediately back? I've just lost three weeks. Yeah. Or sometimes even longer. Or they'll send it out to review, and some capricious idiot will get their hands on it and uh, claim that it's a actually a paper about the air-laden velocity of a swallow or some bollocks and then send it back. A lot of the time you are not just dealing with the fact that there's a right or a wrong place to send something. It's the fact that it has to fit into a program of research where it has to represent an official thing that's been achieved or published that is sufficiently boastable. And I really wish, I mean, I I think that the majority of the responsibility for dealing with that probably rests with grant-giving institutions where they don't put the slight... I mean, they still put so much credence in where the paper went, but all they really care about is how many times it was cited. Either it's important or it's not. 
That's that's changing a bit though. So I'm finding um, some some uh, granting uh, authorities now specifically say do not include the journal impact factor. We don't care. Well, they don't care about the journal impact factor, but they do have a heuristic list of what they think is good and bad. Yeah, but now now more the um I saw an in- interesting uh, conversation on Twitter where rather than actually going you know this is you know sh- show us all your papers. Show us your top five papers and why they're important. Mm. And there you can actually talk about citations because that gives you a proxy of importance. But you can also talk about the actual more intrinsic importance of the paper. So it's a good way of actually filtering out um, the you know, people who are doing good, important research regardless of where it's actually submitted versus people who are, um, who are going for these glamour journals, which sometimes feels like a lottery, to be honest. Well, yeah... Um, that and uh, there's only certain uh, certain journals that are thought to be general. Uh, you only have a certain amount of access to them, depending on the the, the thing that you actually study. Yeah, the the vast majority of stuff for any given field is put into the specialty journals of that field. Yeah. So th- there are obviously there's sort of umbrella journals for whole areas. So. Uh, the American Journal of Physiology, for instance, has got a it's got its own thing, and then a number of umbrella journals that go in under that. Uh, there's JOP or Journal of Neuroscience, or uh, uh, psychophys stuff is probably more specialized in yeah. that sense. But yeah, anyway. But you brought up an interesting point, as in like we you, you want to get stuff out there as soon as possible. It's that tension between how, how high do we aim, if you sort of believe in that, versus how quick is this going to come through. If you aim too high or if you go for a different journal, you, you could be held up. It could be on the editor's desk for a month, which has happened to me in the past. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, uh, it, it sucked and they, they were apologetic eventually. Uh, paper got rejected. <laughs> Um, yeah, so but you I'm don't like, get your thanks. month back. And at the, this point in time, there's you're continually working between deadlines. Yeah. Things that you can justify, things that you can say that you've actually done. The thing that I'm discovering now over here, where um, I may be asking Uncle Sam for money in the relatively near future, a lot of these grant applications have got a section where it says, how much work have you all done together? Really? And what they want to know what they want to know really is the best thing it seems like to me that you can justify through some of these grants is how much collective experience you have working together as a group. Which is, you know, a little bit unfortunate if you're trying to set something up from scratch, but it does mean that you're now under pressure to have stuff done together before you start. Yeah. Before just... you start getting the money to do the work in the first place. So yeah, obviously, look, these things are always handled organically. You just sort of push your options around and do the next best thing that's available. Roll, meaning someone needs to be on a paper, you try and find them a job in it, roll them into it, make them make themselves useful, etc. Um, but having things being held up for any reason, you miss a funding cycle, etc., etc. There's absolutely no, there's absolutely no love or joy in the paper being held up at some journal um, which is very rarely the fault of the people themselves the the editor the person that you deal with I'd say 90% of the time they're waiting to do something they're waiting for a response from someone else yeah and yeah well someone else I might add who it's not always their fault either because they're not exactly getting paid (laughs) they're waiting you're essentially dependent you're like Blanche Dubois from A Streetcar Named Desire you're you're always dependent on the kindness of strangers yeah I would depend on the kindness of uh, random cardiologists in uh, the northern UK and Italy to review my stuff and send it back thanks heaps you know have you thought about preprints I love preprints you know I love preprints yeah but have you done one yeah, yeah, really? I've got a couple. Okay, oh, you do. Fault you don't read them. That shows you how much <laughs> impact they have. Yeah, you do. No, I'm finding that at least with at least within the biological or the medical sciences, like within the past month, I've seen so many um, of these uh, of preprints um, just popping yeah. up. I think it's fan- I think it's fantastic. With my um, with my PJ, uh, I got the investigator account straight That's away right. when they opened the journal. They have unlimited papers and unlimited preprints now for the lifetime of the journal for me, which is still the best deal you're going to get anywhere in publishing. Um, 
So the problem that I have, of course, is I want to send a fire hose of stuff there. They're very proud of their short turnaround time, and uh, the, the journal is exceedingly modern. I still think uh, if you value all the stuff up, it's the best option. But I have to publish with other people who care more than I do about the outlet the paper goes to. I think it will get cited more and will be less of a pain in our collective ass in a journal that is very fast and is very committed to everything being open all the time. Yeah. But what that means is that you incur a personal expense because people, you buy your own plan to PJ, and you paid our fee for translational psychiatry because the Norwegian government is lovely. Yeah. Now, how much was that? Three grand or something? Yeah, about about three grand. In freedom dollars. Yeah. So it's three real thousand. Yeah. Right. Um, that cost you nothing. But if I said we're going to... I'm, I'm, a, ta- pay- I'm a taxpayer. Don't start. <laughs> the- <laughs> I mean, the, the whole point is that if you pay to get a... Uh, if you get a subscription to PeerJ, it's going to cost you more money by definition than even the most expensive thing that can be paid for out of a grant or an endowment oh, or yeah. money from a research community stuff at large. It's an item now in most grants. So that is the problem um there's lots of universities who have plans with peer the journal but no one that i work with is at one of those universities even though there's a couple of hundred because obviously there's many thousands of tertiary institutions yeah uh, i think uh yeah uh, the bmc family of journals do something similar as well where you can actually have uh you can be partner, and I think Frontiers has very few, yep. but they're starting to do a few partner institutions, which is uh, yeah, I think which, which is a good idea. Yeah, it's um, it's that's always that's always better off because I mean, if you do that and you think about the cost to a university in the first place, um, I I don't think the the the, the partnership at the very least that money is directly going to support a non-cynical organization that is trying to support publishing. So. That's one thing. If I ever got the chance to work directly in a position where I could advocate for a university to pay the broader subscription fees to give their entire research community at that university access to the Open Access Journal, whichever one it was, Mm. um, I would be 100% in favor of that. Mm. Um, I think that's definitely the way. When you come to money management, so the more the more you do that, the more researchers are going to say, "Well, this is a good open access journal." And because our university is a member, however the hell that works, um, we can publish there for either nothing or dramatically less than m- might otherwise be required. Yeah, huge difference. Yeah, so what's that going to do? That means that more stuff is going to go into open access journals. I mean, if you want to kill the beast, yeah, you've got to throw a lot of little arrows, and that seems like a particularly good one. Mm. Aimed directly at the base of the taint. <laughs> An excellent arrow. Well, on, on that note, I think we'll... Uh, <laughs> and what a, what a on note. On that note. <laughs> we, will, uh, we will wrap up today. There's a lot to cover and we might actually spend, um, spend a second episode because we didn't even get onto the, um, the process of actually... kind of skipped it a bit, but the process of writing, which is uh, you know, probably one of the more time-consuming parts of it. So, but maybe in the next episode we can Coffee, talk about that. Coffee, raw liquor, 36 hours, knock it out. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thanks for listening. Um, rate us on iTunes, follow us, comment on us, and uh, we will see you all next episode. Yes, we will. <laughs>